Good morning, guys. Um, we're ready to move on to Act One, Scene Three, but I wanted to make a few comments on Scene Two.、Um, I love that Othello is confident in himself, and Iago tries to tell him that you know、uh, that Brabantio and his friends are coming after him and. Othello is confident in who he is, and if you go to line thirty-five in scene two, Othello says, "I must be found. My parts, my title, my perfect soul, shall manifest me rightly." So he's confident in who he is. He's always done the right thing, and he knows that Desdemona has married him for him. And then, if you move over to、um, to page twenty-five, Brabantio comes, and Brabantio is like a wild man, and he 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 accuses him of being a foul thief, and he says, "You must have enchanted her." That's about line eighty,、um, you know, insinuating that he must have had magic. That you know, my daughter would not have met, you know fallen in love with you, but then some of the racist commentary comes in. If you flip the page to twenty-seven, and you go to line eighty-nine, and he says, "Run from her guardage to the sooty bosom of such a thing as you, to fear, not to delight." So when he says that, that he calls him a thing. So he's not even considered a human, and a sooty bosom is, you know, a dark, you know, your dark skin. That's what he's commenting on. And then, if you go down to line one hundred six, he says, "To prison till fit time of law and course of direct session call thee to answer." So he wants him to go to jail. Meanwhile, did anyone even? Attempt to find Desdemona to say, you know, hey, did you marry this guy against you know your will, or did you marry because you wanted to marry him?、Um, and if we flip over, or no, not yet. If you go down to the bottom of the page,、um, Brabantio says,、um, oh, before that, line one fourteen, an officer says, "Tis true, most worthy signor." The duke is in council, and your noble self, I am sure, is sent for. So the duke is meeting, and he is told that he will, you know, be able to go there, and he'll be able to tell the duke what his concerns are. Okay, so now we go to scene three. Let me give you a background on scene three. The duke and senators are in fact meeting, and they're discussing a report that a Turkish fleet. Is on its way to Cyprus. Turkey would be the enemy of Venice. When Othello and and Brabantio arrive, that's what they're discussing. Othello defends himself eloquently against the charges of bewitching Desdemona, and Desdemona arrives, and she affirms the love between them. Brabantio can't deny that his daughter. Admits that she loves this man, can't deny it. It's in her demeanor, and it's what she speaks. He reluctantly accepts the situation. Othello is appointed governor of Cyprus, 
and Desdemona is allowed to accompany her husband. Iago is also going to escort her to the island. So Othello leaves first, and then Iago, gotta keep your eye on Iago, is going to accompany Desdemona. Rodrigo threatens suicide. Remember Rodrigo, who's in love with Desdemona, who's devastated that she's married Othello. Threatens suicide for love of of Desdemona. And Iago says, no, 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 no. I assure you that she will get sick and tired of Othello and that Rodrigo then um, will be able, and then Rodrigo will then be able to, to win her over. Once alone, Iago speaks of a rumor that his wife Amelia has betrayed him with Othello. So Iago is in his mind thinking that Amelia, his wife, who is um, the person who serves Desdemona, that she has betrayed him with Othello. So that gives us a little bit of motivation perhaps um, to add to the anger and jealousy that he has over Cassio getting the job. So that finds us, that's that's act three. So get ready to listen. And now, act one, scene three. No composition in these news that gives them credit. Indeed, they are disproportionate. My letters say 107 galleys. And mine 140. And mine 200. <laughs> but though they jump not on a just account, as in these cases where the aim reports, tis oft with difference, yet do they all confirm a Turkish fleet and bearing up to Cyprus. Nay, it is possible enough to judgment. I do not so secure me in the error, but the main article I do approve in fearful sense. Whoa-ho! ho A messenger from the galleys. Now, what's the business? The Turkish preparation makes for roads. So I was bid report here to the state by Signor Angelo. How say you by this change? This cannot be by no assay of reason. Tis a pageant to keep us in false gaze. When we consider the importance of Cyprus to the Turk, and let ourselves again but understand that as it more concerns the Turk than roads, so may he with more facile question bear it. Or that it stands not in such warlike grace, but altogether lacks the abilities that Rhodes is dressed in. If we make thought of this, we must not think the Turk is so unskillful to leave that latest which concerns him first, neglecting an attempt of ease and gain to wake and wage a danger profitless. Hey, in all confidence, he's not for roads. Here is more news. The Ottomites, reverend and gracious, steering with due course toward the Isle of Rhodes, have there enjointed them with an afterfleet. Aye, so I thought. How many, as you guess, of thirty sail? And now they do re-stem their backward course, bearing with frank appearance their purposes toward Cyprus. Signor Montano, your trusty and most valiant servitor, with his free duty recommends you thus and prays you to believe in it. A certain men for Cyprus. Marcus Lukikos, is not he in town? He's now in Florence. Write from us to him post-post-haste dispatch. Here comes Brabantio and the valiant Moor. Valiant Othello, we must straight employ you against the general enemy, Ottoman. 
I did not see you. Welcome, gentle senor. We lacked your counsel and your help tonight. So did I yours. Could your grace pardon me? Neither my place nor aught I heard of business hath raised me from my bed, nor doth the general care take hold on me. For my particular grief is of so floodgate and o'erbearing nature that it engluts and swallows other sorrows, and it is still itself. Why, what's the matter? My daughter, oh, my daughter, dead. I, to me, she is abused, stolen from me, and corrupted by spells and medicines born of mountebanks. For nature so preposterously to err, being not deficient, blind, or lame of sense, sans witchcraft could not. Whoever he be that in this foul proceeding hath thus beguiled your daughter of herself, and you of her, the bloody book of law you shall yourself read in the bitter letter after your own sense, yea, though our proper son stood in your action. Humbly I thank your grace. Here is the man. This moor, whom now it seems your special mandate for the state affairs hath hither brought. We are very sorry for it. What in your own part can you say to this? Nothing but this is so. Most potent, grave, and reverend seniors, my very noble and approved good masters, that I have taken away this old man's daughter, it is most true. True, I have married her. The very head and front of my offending at this extent. No more. Oh, rude am I in my speech, and little blessed with the soft phrase of peace. For since these arms of mine had seven years pith, till now some nine moons wasted, they have used their dearest action in the tented field. And little of this great world can I speak more than pertains to feats of broil and battle. And therefore little shall I grace my cause in speaking for myself. Yet, by your gracious patience, I will a round unvarnished tale deliver of my whole course of love. What drugs, what charms, what conjuration, and what mighty magic. For such proceeding am I charged withal, I won his daughter. A maiden never bold, of spirit so still and quiet, that her motion blushed at herself. And she, in spite of nature, of years, of country, credit, everything, to fall in love with what she feared to look on. It is a judgment maimed and most imperfect that will confess perfection so could err against all rules of nature. I must be driven to find out practices of cunning hell why this should be. I therefore vouch again that with some mixtures powerful of the blood, or with some dram conjured to this effect, he wrought upon her. To vouch this is no proof without more certain and more overt test than these thin habits and poor likelihoods of modern seeming to prefer against him. What a fellow speak. Did you by indirect and forced courses subdue and poison this young maid's affections? Or came it by request and such fair question as soul to soul affordeth? I do beseech you, send for the lady to the Sagittary, and let her speak of me before her father, if you do find me foul in her report. The trust, the office I do hold of you, not only take away, but let your sentence even fall upon my life. Fetch Desdemona hither. Ancient conduct them to best know the place. Until she come, as truly as to heaven, I do confess the vices of my blood. So justly to your grave ears, I'll present how I did thrive in this fair lady's love, and she in mine. Say it, Othello. Her father loved me. <laughs> Oft invited me. Still questioned me the story of my life from year to year. The battles, sieges, 
fortunes that I have passed. I ran it through, even from my boyish days, to the very moment that he bade me tell it, wherein I spoke of most disastrous chances of moving accidents by flood and field, of hairbreadth scapes in the imminent deadly breach, of being taken by the insolent foe and sold to slavery, of my redemption thence and portents in my travels history, wherein of Anta's vast and deserts idle, rough quarries, rocks and hills whose heads touch heaven. It was my hint to speak. Such was the process, and of the cannibals that each other eat, the anthropophagi, and men whose heads do grow beneath their shoulders. This to hear would Desdemona seriously incline, but still the house affairs would draw her thence, whichever as she could with haste dispatch, she'd come again, and with a greedy ear devour up my discourse, which I, observing, took once a pliant hour, and found good means to draw from her a prayer of earnest heart that I would all my pilgrimage dilate, whereof by parcels she had something heard, but not intentively. I did consent, and often did beguile her of her tears when I did speak of some distressful stroke that my youth suffered. My story being done, she gave me for my pains a world of sighs. She swore a faith, it was strange, it was passing strange, it was pitiful, it was wondrous pitiful. She wished she had not heard it, yet she wished that heaven had made her such a man. She thanked me and bade me, if I had a friend that loved her, I should but teach him how to tell my story, and that would woo her. Upon this hint I spake. She loved me for the dangers I had passed, and I loved her that she did pity them. This only is the witchcraft I have used. Here comes the lady. Let her witness it. I think this tale would win my daughter, too. Good Brabantio, take up this mangled matter at the best. Men do their broken weapons rather use than their bare hands. I pray you hear her speak. If she confess that she was half the wooer, destruction on my head, if my bad blame light on the man. Come hither, gentle mistress. Do you perceive in all this noble company where most you owe obedience? My noble father, I do perceive here a divided duty. To you I am bound for life and education. My life and education both do learn me how to respect you. You are the lord of duty. I am hitherto your daughter. But here's my husband. And so much duty as my mother showed to you, preferring you before her father, so much I challenge that I may profess due to the more my lord. God be with you. I have done. Please it your grace onto the state affairs. I had rather to adopt a child than get it. Come hither more. I here do give thee that with all my heart, which but thou hast already with all my heart I would keep from thee. For your sake, jewel, I'm glad at soul I have no other child, for thy escape would teach me tyranny to hang clogs on them. 
I have done, my lord. Let me speak like yourself and lay a sentence which, as a grise or step, may help these lovers into your favour. When remedies are past, the griefs are ended by seeing the worst which late on hopes depended. To mourn a mischief that is past and gone is the next way to draw new mischief on. What cannot be preserved when fortune takes, patience her injury a mockery makes. The robbed that smiles steals something from the thief. He robs himself that spends a bootless grief. So let the Turk of Cyprus us beguile. We lose it not so long as we can smile. He bears the sentence well that nothing bears but the free comfort which from thence he hears. But he bears both the sentence and the sorrow, but to pay grief must of poor patience borrow. Are these sentences to sugar or to gall, being strong on both sides, are equivocal. But words are words. I never yet did hear that the bruised heart was pierced through the ear. Beseech you now to the affairs of state. The Turk, with the most mighty preparation, makes for Cyprus. Othello, the fortitude of the place is best known to you. And though we have there a substitute of most allowed sufficiency, yet opinion, a more sovereign mistress of effects, throws a more safer voice on you. You must therefore be content to slubber the gloss of your new fortunes with this more stubborn and boisterous expedition. The tyrant custom, most grave senators hath made the flinty and steel couch of war my thrice-driven bed of town. I do agonize a natural and prompt alacrity I find in hardness, and do undertake these present wars against the Ottomites. Most humbly, therefore, bending to your state, I crave fit disposition for my wife. Do reference of place and exhibition with such accommodation, and be sought as levels with her breeding. If you please, be it at her father's. I will not have it, sir. Nor I. Nor I. I would not there reside to put my father in impatient thoughts by being in his eye. Most gracious Duke, to my unfolding lend your prosperous ear, and let me find a charter in your voice to assist my simpleness. What would you, Desdemona? That I did love the more to live with him, my downright violence and storm of fortunes may trumpet to the world. My heart subdued even to the very quality of my lord. I saw Othello's visage in his mind, and to his honours and his valiant parts did I my soul and fortunes consecrate. So that, dear lords, if I be left behind, a moth of peace, and he go to the war, the rights for which I love him are bereft me, and I a heavy interim shall support by his dear absence. Let me go with him. Let her have your voice. Vouch with me, heaven. I therefore beg it not to please the palate of my appetite, not to comply with heat, the young effects in me defunct and proper satisfaction, but to be free and bounteous to her mind. And heaven defend your good souls, that you think I will your serious and great business scant when she is with me. No, when light-winged toys of feathered Cupid seal with wanton dullness my speculative and officed instruments, that my disports corrupt and taint my business. Let housewives make a skillet of my helm, and all indign and base adversities make head against my estimation. Be it as you shall privately determine, either for her stay or going, the affair cries haste, and speed must answer it. You must away tonight. 
with all my heart. At nine in the morning, here we'll meet again. Othello, leave some officer behind, and he shall our commission bring to you with such things else of quality and respect as doth import you. So please, Your Grace, my ancient, a man he is of honesty and trust, to his conveyance I assign my wife, with what else needful your good grace shall think to be sent after me. Let it be so. Good night to everyone, and noble signor, if virtue no delighted beauty lack, your son-in-law is far more fair than black. Adieu, brave Moor. Use Desdemona well. Look to her, Moor, if thou hast eyes to see. She has deceived her father, and may thee my life upon her faith. Honest Tiago, my Desdemona must I leave to thee. I pray thee let thy wife attend on her, and bring them after in the best advantage. Come, Desdemona, I have but an hour of love for worldly matters and direction to spend with thee. We must obey the time. Oh, Yago. Oh, what sayest thou, noble heart? What will I do, thinkst thou? Oh, I go to bed and sleep. I will incontinently drown myself. What thou dost, I shall never love thee after. Like a silly gentleman. It is silliness to live, when to live is torment. And then have we a prescription to die, when death is our physician. Oh, villainous. I have looked upon the world for four times seven years, and since I could distinguish betwixt a benefit and an injury, I never found man that knew how to love himself. Ere I would say I would drown myself for the love of a guinea hen, I would change my humanity with a baboon. <laughs> what should I do? I confess it is my shame to be so fond, but it is not in my virtue to amend it. Virtue? Oh, a fig. Tis in ourselves that we are thus and thus. Our bodies are our gardens, to the which our wills are gardeners. So that if we will plant nettles or sow lettuce, set hyssop and weed up thyme, supply it with one gender of herbs, or distract it with many, either to have it sterile with idleness or manured with industry, why the power and corrigible authority of this lies in our wills. If the balance of our lives had not one scale of reason to poise another of sensuality, the blood and baseness of our natures would conduct us to most preposterous conclusions. <laughs> but we have reason to cool our raging motions, our carnal stings, our unbitted lusts, whereof I take this that you call love to be a sect, a sire. It cannot be. It is merely a lust of the blood and a permission of the will. Come, be a man, huh? Drown thyself. What, drown cats and blind puppies? <laughs> hey, I have professed me thy friend, and I confess me knit to thy deserving with cables of perdurable toughness. I could never better step thee than now. Put money in thy purse, follow thou the walls, defeat thy favour with an usurped beard. I say, put money in thy purse. It cannot be that Desdemona should long continue her love to the moor. Put money in thy purse, nor he is to her. It was a violent commencement in her, hmm? and thou shalt see an answerable sequestration. Put, put money in my purse. 
See, these malls are changeable in their wills. Fill my purse with money. <laughs> the food that to him now is as luscious as locusts shall be to him shortly as bitter as Colloquintida. She must change for youth when she is sated with his body. She will find the error of her choice. She must have change. She must. Therefore... Put money in thy purse. <laughs> huh? God, if thou wilt needs damn thyself, do it a more delicate way than drowning. Make all the money thou canst. <laughs> uh, if sanctimony and a frail vow betwixt an erring barbarian and a super subtle Venetian be not too hard for my wits and all the tribe of hell, thou shalt enjoy her. <sighs> Therefore, make money! Fox <laughs> <laughs> and drowning thyself. Just clean out of the way. Seek thou rather to be hanged, encompassing thy joy, than to be drowned and go without her. Wilt thou be false to my hopes, if, if I depend on the issue? Thou art sure of me. Go, make money. <laughs> I've told thee often, and I retell thee again and again. I hate them all. My court is hearted. Thine hath no less reason. Let us be conjunctive in our revenge against him. If thou canst cuckold him, thou dost thyself a pleasure, mere sport. There are many events in the womb of time which will be delivered. Traverse, go, provide thy money. We will have more of this tomorrow. Adieu. <laughs> oh, uh, where shall we meet in the morning? At my lodging. I'll be with thee bit times. You too. Farewell. <laughs> ah, do you hear, Rodrigo? What say you? No more of drowning, do you hear? <laughs> I'm changed. Go to. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, put money enough in your purse. Yeah. I'll sell all my land. <laughs> Thus do I ever make my fool my purse. For I, mine own gained knowledge, should profane if I would time expend with such a snipe, but for my sport and profit. I hate them all, and it is thought abroad that twixt my sheets has done my office. I know not if it be true, but I, for mere suspicion of that kind, will do as if for surety. He holds me well. <laughs> the better shall my purpose work on him. Cassio is a proper man. Let me see now. To get his place and to plume up my will in double knavery. How? How? Let's see. <laughs> After some time, to abuse Othello's ears, that he is too familiar with his wife. He hath a person and a smooth disposed to be suspected, framed to make women false. The more is of a free and open nature that thinks men honest that but seem to be so, and will as tenderly be led by the nose as asses are. Hmm. I have it. It is engendered. Hell and night must bring this monstrous birth to the world's light. <laughs> Wow, a lot happened. Um, I think we see 
Iago for who he is at this point, right at the end, in his last soliloquy, which ends Act 3, his whole plan is laid out. Go to your study guide questions, see um, how you can answer those. Tomorrow morning at the beginning of our online podcast lesson, I'm going to go over what happened in Act 3. But um, pay attention to the beautiful use of language, the metaphors, the birth metaphors, see if you can find those, the examples of alliteration that popped up, um, the use of anaphora or repetition that is used, Um, such beautiful language. Um, I can't wait to talk about this with you tomorrow. Have a great day and uh, we'll see you tomorrow or we'll hear each other tomorrow.